There's an old story that you may have heard that's a, a good starting place for us today. You know, like most old stories, there uh, is some dispute about where it came from. Some think it is of Christian origin. I've always heard it as an old Native American legend. And so I searched for it this week, and here's the version that I found on the website of the Nanticoke Indians. One evening, an elderly Cherokee brave uh, told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is uh, evil. It is anger and envy and jealousy, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, uh, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And the story goes that the grandson thought about it for a minute and, uh, and then asked his grandfather, well, which wolf wins? And the old, old Cherokee simply replied, uh, the one you feed. And I've always loved that story because I think it reveals an uncomfortable truth about the human condition, an uncomfortable truth that we need to remind ourselves of from time to time. It's also, of course, one of the great core teachings of Christian theology that we are, uh, you know, created in the image and likeness of God and our faith in Christ means that we are filled with the Holy Spirit who guides us and leads us and empowers us uh, to be the people that God created us to be, which is to say people filled with love for God and for others. But uh, the power of sin is a constant in our lives and too often we misuse the gift of free will that God has given us. Too often we choose uh, self over selflessness. We choose fear over love, anger over joy. The daily work of the Christian journey is to choose to be people God has created us to be. Part of the, of the function of Scripture is to guide us in that choice. Part of the reason that we gather in worship every week, in addition to the beauty of the music and the, and the repetition of the liturgy and the power of Christian community and fellowship, is to hear the Scriptures read and proclaimed and to study and remember the teachings of Scripture. And so throughout the month of May, we're, we're being guided by one of the most important and challenging scriptures of the Christian faith. Throughout May, uh, we are exploring some of the important highlights of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus calls the disciples salt of the earth. And last week, we, we talked a bit about what that metaphor means. This week and next, we'll be talking about what it means to stand out for the right reasons in a culture that is too often at odds with Christian values. And we're reading today from a, a section of the Sermon on the Mount called the Antitheses, uh, in which Jesus reinterprets and raises expectations concerning different areas of morality. Jesus calls his disciples to a, a higher righteousness, a greater righteousness, through a series of statements that begin, you have heard that it was said, and then continue, but I say to you, and we actually covered a couple of these, couple of these back in our Lenten sermon series um, when we were comparing the Ten Commandments with the teachings of Jesus. Today, we're going to cover two more. Uh, we're going to read them one at a time. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. Listen, friends, for the Word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Matthew. This is uh, Jesus talking to us, his disciples. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye 
and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Now, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my, my favorite people growing up was my grandmother's husband, Sam. They got married when I was very young, so he was always like a, a grandfather to me. He was born in Chicago, and his given name at birth was actually Sabatino, and his last name was Pozzetti, and uh, he was about as Italian as you could be without actually being born in Italy. And Sam adored my grandmother. Uh, he, he loved to play games with us kids. I learned how to play poker from Sam. <laughs> and he made the absolute best lasagna I have ever had. He also loved my, life, my, my wife, Whitney. Uh, whenever he saw her, he was kind of a little guy, he would uh, walk up to her and he'd give, us a, give her a mischievous grin and he'd wrap his arms around her and he'd say with that Chicago accent, give me a squeeze. <laughs> And it's not coincidental that our youngest son's name is Sam. Well, the only time I ever remember getting in trouble with Sam was when I was in college. I was, I was back in Dallas, I was visiting. My grandmother and I had gone to lunch. I can't remember why Sam didn't, did not go with, with us, but um, after lunch, we went back to their place so I could see him before I had to go back to school. And I bounded through the front door um, and I went looking for him. He was uh, vacuuming one of the bedrooms in the back of the house and he didn't hear me uh, come up on him. But I shouted his name and I went running up. I went to give him a big hug and it startled him and it startled him badly. And both he and my grandmother kind of fussed at me. And listen, I was not used to being fussed at by my grandparents. She said, Christopher, you can't do that. He grew up in Chicago when Capone was in charge. Don't you ever surprise him again. And I did what you did, I laughed. But they weren't kidding. They were mad at me. And I was stunned. Some 60 years after the fact, um, the cycle of violence, the very real cycle of violence that he was born into was still deeply a part of who he was. And it reminded me of a movie that I had seen a, a couple of years earlier. Um, there's a famous scene in the 1987 movie, The Untouchables. That's a young Kevin Costner on the right, and he's playing Elliot Ness, who was the, the FBI agent who actually got Al Capone. And Sean Connery is uh, a fellow lawman, and he's explaining to Ness how it has to be done. And ironically, in this scene, they're sitting in a church having this conversation, and Sean Connery's character says, you want to get Capone? Well, here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And my experience with my grandfather uh, tells me that that was not just movie hyperbole. In our first passage for today, Jesus, when he talks about this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing, he's, he's, uh, he's quoting the law of Moses. And it's actually in a couple of different places. For example, Leviticus chapter 24, verses 19 to 20 says this, anyone who maims another shall suffer the same injury in return, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The injury inflicted is the injury to be suffered. 
And what we need to know about that is uh, in the law, this notion of eye for eye and tooth for tooth is actually intended to limit retaliation, to reduce violence, to keep people from doing things the Chicago way. And in that sense, eye for eye, tooth for tooth was actually a merciful innovation uh, in an ancient world where violence often escalated quickly, where the tendency was to respond to violence with greater violence, to respond to violence with increasing bloodshed. The law of Moses imposed limits on how God's people were to respond if they were harmed, to de-escalate from the prevailing culture what it tolerated if not openly permitted. And as I think about this, I can't, I can't help but think of the recent news stories, I've, I'm sure you've seen them, in which people have turned to violence unnecessarily. I'm, I'm sure you've seen these stories. Of like a month in a row, or like in this one month period, we had all these stories of, of, of innocent people getting shot for knocking on the wrong door, uh, or for getting in the wrong car, or for turning in the wrong driveway. Most recently, it was for playing hide and seek in the wrong yard. And the thing is, these are all um, fear-based reactions to perceived threats. In this case, not even, in these cases, not even actual threats. And this is a, a far cry from the proportionality commanded in the law of Moses. Well, as we're wrestling with what, uh, what it means to stand out for the right reasons in a culture that seems so often to overreact, we read how, how Jesus takes a law commanding mercy and makes it even more merciful. Jesus' emphasis here is on um, not proportional retaliation, but non-retaliation. He encourages his disciples to renounce the right to respond to violence with violence. And it's a theme that he continues uh, very famously in these next verses. So this is Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. I've told you before, this is like a super challenging portion of scripture for me, the most challenging for me. Uh, do not retaliate, love your enemies, pray for your persecutors as we um, end the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, the first of three chapters that make up the Sermon on the Mount, uh, just a third of the way through his most famous teaching, Jesus is on quite a roll here. <laughs> and this um, would have shocked his first century listeners to hear what he's saying, every bit as much as it shocks us, but then he, he finishes with a flourish that in English is really pretty breathtaking, I think. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I think that it's easy at this point to almost tune him out. I'm saying almost, mind you, because he is the Lord. <laughs> we have to take him seriously. 
But can he really mean perfect? Uh, Can he really mean that we should be like God? Now, of course, you know the short answer is is yes. Um, The word that we translate as perfect in English is teleos in Greek. And the thing is that the translation kind of lets us down here because teleos does not mean without error or mistake. That's how we tend to think of of perfect, but uh, it does not mean what we think it means, actually. Teleos in this context means the goal or the fulfillment or the completion. And we can think of it as spiritual maturity, as the state in which we are most like the God in whose image we are created. Now, theologically, as followers of Jesus, we believe that the Holy Spirit is within us, that the resurrected Christ is within us, that God is always with us, guiding us and leading us and empowering us to be the people God created us to be. That's what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Not to be without, without sin or without mistake or without error. That's not possible. But to be who God created and calls us to be. And in Methodist theology, we have what I think is a, is a helpful phrase for this. We, call, we talk about going on to perfection. By which we mean continuing to grow in love for God and others throughout our lives. And, you know, we... We all know that it's a bumpy road sometimes, right? And sometimes we get sidetracked. And sometimes we, we plop down and stop moving for a while. But the overall trajectory of our lives, once we've placed our faith in Christ, once we have committed to this journey of discipleship, uh, is ongoing growth. To his first century disciples, Jesus says, look, uh, I know we've done it this particular way, for over a thousand years since the law of Moses was given, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Um, But I say to you that we're called to a higher righteousness, which would have been incredibly challenging for that first century audience. What I hear him saying to to us as 21st century disciples is, look, I know that y'all have struggled with this for almost 2,000 years now, but I meant what I said, love everybody. Uh, Don't retaliate against anybody, even those you perceive to be your enemies, because God makes the sun rise and the rain fall on the good and the evil, on the righteous and the less so. And I don't know about you, but um, this is a tough one for me. Uh, I'm so glad that we, we as Methodists have this phrase, going on to perfection, (laughs) as opposed to the expectation that we're there and always will be there because there are these two wolves inside us all. And it's really easy and it's tempting sometimes to feed the wrong one. And maybe you're with me on this. Uh, when I feel threatened, when, I, when I'm pushed, my first instinct, my initial reaction, what I feel inside uh, is to fight to defend, to protect. And I'm talking about in person, I'm talking about in email, I'm talking about on social media, and God help me, I'm talking about in traffic. (laughs) Enemies all around me when I'm in traffic until I see one of y'all and then it's like, you're you're great, everybody else doesn't know the rules. And I like to think 
And I think it's true that the longer I'm on this journey of discipleship, the more I grow, the more I uh, mature, certainly the more I mellow. But regardless, the good news is that I'm not in this alone. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is with me, that's what we believe. I have a community of faith that helps me grow. And the word perfection means something other than what I used to think it means. And I have the privilege, the honor of uh, continuing to study and reflect upon and pray about the way Jesus challenges me in the Sermon on the Mount, how he calls me to this higher righteousness, how he calls me to be better than I otherwise would be, how he challenges me to stand out for the right reasons. When we moved to Maryland in 1978, our family joined St. Mary's, uh, Roman Catholic Church in this little tiny town of uh, Barnesville, Maryland. And that congregation was spiritual ho- our spiritual home for really, a, probably, well, the most formative years of my early life for sure. And our parish priest, Father George Reed, uh, became the biggest theological influence of my early childhood and, and teenage years. And we absolutely loved Father Reed. Uh, he was kind and he was devoted and he was funny. He was grumpy from time to time, but it was always somehow in an endearing way. And Father Reed had this bumper sticker on his car that always made us laugh. Uh, Knowing what I know now, I think it was probably more true than we realized then. And as it turns out, it's a pretty good summary of our Methodist uh, notion, our Methodist theology of going on to perfection, especially when it comes to this turn the other cheek, love your enemies part of the Sermon on the Mount, always sat out in front of his house, this bumper sticker, it said, Jesus loves you and I'm trying. (laughs) And I think he was probably trying to be funny, but I actually think God is good with that. God is good with us recognizing that God loves us all and our job is to try. So may we all keep trying. Amen.